Today we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and we'll be looking at the next two verses. It's like we're going in uh, two at a time here lately, but verses 13 and 14 of 2 Timothy chapter 1. The Apostle Paul writes, Hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the word of God. It's fully inspired. It has been breathed out. Lord, by you, we learn that in this very book. And it is profitable for rebuke, for correction, for training, for instruction in righteousness, Lord, that we might be complete. So, Lord, we pray to that end that we would, uh, that you would guide me as I preach and all of us as we hear the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Well, if you were here last week, uh, we looked at verse 12 where Paul talked about what he had committed to Christ. What he had committed into the hands of Christ. His life, his soul, everything that he was and all that he had. His past, present, and future. He committed into the secure hands of Jesus Christ. And and the Lord, as Paul said, is able uh, to keep what we have committed, what he has committed, what we have committed to him until the day he returns. So if you're a Christian, your life is safe, it is secure in the loving arms of Jesus Christ. He's able to guard the deposit of our lives, what we entrusted to him. But in verses 13 and 14, we find another deposit. And this time, this is a deposit that God uh, gives to us, gives to, uh, to Timothy, to be uh, kept safe and guarded for Christ's sake. In verse 14, Paul urges Timothy, guard that good deposit or that good thing. Uh, it's interesting the way he puts it, but the word literally means deposit. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Uh, and that deposit is the, the pattern of sound words uh, that Paul had passed on to Timothy. Timothy was to hold fast to that uh, pattern of sound doctrine. Uh, when our son Calvin was born, it's been a long time ago now, uh, but we brought him home the next day and introduced him to the other children. Uh, and his older brother Luke was two and a half at that time. And uh, as he was looking at his new baby brother, I asked Luke, I said, what are you going to teach your new uh, baby brother? And, and he paused and he gave his thoughtful answer. And he, says, he said, I'm going to teach him to hold on to everything. You know, I'm going to teach him to hold on. That's pretty good, you know. That's something uh, little ones need. But uh, that's what that's what God is wanting to teach us today. Uh, you know, to to hold on to everything in His Word, the doctrine. So, three things I want to stress today. Three points. First is the importance of sound doctrine. Secondly, 
the source for sound doctrine, and then thirdly, how to guard sound doctrine. And hopefully this will help us to learn how uh, we are to hold on uh, to the truth. So first of all, the importance of sound doctrine. You know, the word doctrine actually scares people a little bit, uh, but it shouldn't, right? Uh, Doctrine is simply the body of principles or teachings uh, that one believes. And we all have doctrines. We all have beliefs. And it's the same thing as it's the form, the pattern, the system of doctrine, if you will, of sound words in Scripture. It's what Paul presented and taught to Timothy. It's the same thing he taught to Titus. We read in Titus 2, verse 1 earlier, Paul said to Titus, But as for you, uh, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. So if you don't like doctrine, then there's a lot of scripture that you wouldn't like. Because that's what scripture is all about. It teaches us what to believe. And uh, it's just the teachings of the Bible, the precepts of of Scripture, especially, uh, and and that word pattern, it's it's the idea of an organized um, formation of beliefs based upon Scripture. Another term we hear that we could use today in this discussion is the word theology. The word theology simply comes from the Latin. Uh, It literally means the study of God. Theos is God, and the other is uh, ology. It's the study of something. Theology, according to Robert Raymond, uh, a great uh, teacher of theology, said the, in, it is, theology is the intelligent effort to understand and explicate the whole Bible as revealed truth. So why study doctrine? Why be concerned about theology? Uh, if you talk to some Christians, they will tell you that doctrine is a divisive thing. We shouldn't get into it. Uh, and that it's bad for the church. Some say, well, it's better to focus on your personal relationship with Jesus. Don't worry about splitting hairs over doctrine. But, you know, Jesus and the apostles uh, taught, encouraged, even commanded us uh, that we might know uh, what we believe. Yes, last week we talked about knowing whom we believe. Uh, having a personal relationship with Jesus is important. And it is only possible uh, is guided by a sound understanding of what we believe about Jesus and about many other things found in Scripture. So uh, you and I can't know the Lord by experience until we have some knowledge of him uh, through the precepts through the propositions of Scripture. So why study theology? Why develop sound doctrine? Well, I think, first of all, because the Great Commission requires us to do that. Jesus said, make disciples, and to do so by teaching them all that he had commanded and to teach them to observe those things. So the church has a twofold mission uh, to evangelize, and to make disciples, to evangelize, and to teach. And both of these require an, an explanation of the Bible. Uh, when I preach to you, I do not merely stand up and just read the Bible and then sit down. 
you can do that and I can do that. We do read scripture. We're called to do that. Um, but I try to explain it to you uh, in, in my own words, really. And um, uh, that's what we're called to do. And so uh, as soon as we attempt, you see, to explain scripture to someone, and we think about, I think about the Ethiopian eunuch. He, was, he had been in Jerusalem, and he was going back to his home, and, and God sent Philip in his chariot to meet, uh, to meet this man in his chariot. And, and he was reading a scroll. He was reading from Isaiah. And, 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 and Philip came up to him. He says, what are you reading? And he told him what he was reading. And he, he says, but I don't understand. I don't have anybody to explain it to me. So that's what, that's what we do. We engage in a theology, in teaching, in uh, explaining the truth. You know, really, everyone is a theologian. What if someone came up to you this afternoon and said, can you tell me what it means uh, that Jesus died on the cross for my sins? What would you say? Would you just repeat back what he said? Well, it means that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. No, you would try to help them understand that. And so everyone is a theologian. You're either a good one, a so-so one, or a bad one. Um, Everyone is a theologian. Of course, we all have a lot to learn. Everyone does. But I believe no Christian should be indifferent to doctrine. Uh, And one very important reason, of course, to study theology, to have sound doctrine, is because through it we know God better. In John 17, 3, Jesus said, This is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. There's the idea of knowledge, gaining the knowledge of God. So in order to have... Uh, a right knowledge of God. We need to ha- have the right doctrine about God, about His Son. Uh, <clears throat> and why do we study theology? Just just to have a head full of knowledge? No, we study theology to turn it into doxology, which is the praise of God, to in order to worship, serve, and glorify God. Um, if man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him, we've got to get to know Him, to know about Him, and have a sound knowledge of Him. You know, if if you and I have almost no desire or small desire uh, to grow in our knowledge of the Lord, what does that say about us? If you don't want to learn more about God, what does that say about you? Well, look at someone who had the very opposite of that uh, uh, attitude, King David. He Here's the way we ought to be. He said in Psalm 63, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there's no water. So I have looked for you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. You see this this desire that David had to know uh, the living God, to be near him, to know his attributes of power, to know his glory and and so on and, and, and so forth. And so and he did so in order to be able to rightly worship the Lord. Another reason to hold uh, uh, to sound doctrine, its importance is is, uh, that if we don't hold to sound doctrine in the church, then the church is going to suffer and become weak and ineffectual in its witness to the world. It will suffer decline. And did you know that sadly it is often preachers, ministers, who go astray and lead the church astray into uh, 
false doctrines and weak theology. And so I would say to, to you that it's the members and the elders of the church who need to hold preachers accountable uh, for what they teach and preach. Hold them accountable in this area of doctrine. I was listening to an interview uh, this week on a podcast. It was an interview, a recent interview, with Sinclair Ferguson, who you know is from Scotland, and he pastored First Presbyterian in Columbia for a number of years. And a couple of years ago, recently, he retired as pastor there and returned to his native Scotland. And he, in, in this interview, he mentioned uh, uh, he had grown up in the Church of Scotland, which was the Presbyterian, it was Presbyterian, of course. Uh, and uh, the Church of Scotland, uh, he mentioned the, the sad, the momentous decline of that church over the past 60 years. In, in 1960, the Church of Scotland had 1.3 million members. And today, it has a mere 300,000. So in, in one lifetime, basically, the Church of Scotland has lost a million members. And uh, at one time, the, the Church of Scotland held firmly to the Bible as the final authority. It held firmly to the Westminster Confession of Faith, which is what we hold to uh, today. However, that church uh, approves of homosexuality, uh, gay marriage, gay ministers. Uh, and, and, and there are certain prominent ministers in the Church of Scotland who reject the atoning death of Jesus Christ for our sins, calling it ghastly theology. Um, Church of Scotland is no longer committed to the authority of the Bible or of the major doctrines of Scripture. They have ceased practicing church discipline and they have abandoned the biblical gospel. They have therefore abandoned Jesus Christ. They are no longer uh, faithful in being a church of the Lord. So, very sad departure from the faith. Could have been avoided had the members, had the elders, and had the preachers heeded Paul's admonition here to Timothy. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. Guard the gospel deposit entrusted to you. We need to do this. It's vital. If we don't, we'll die. But secondly, from our passage, if we would hold fast to sound doctrine, we need to know the true source for this doctrine, when we faithfully hold fast to sound doctrine and practice, I'm focusing on the issue of doctrine today, but practice um, is just as important. Uh, it's not only what we believe, but it's how we live. Um, but if we faithfully hold fast to fa sound doctrine and faithful practice, we will have a healthy, uh, a vibrant Church, uh, because unsound doctrine is like a cancer. It, it, it brings death to the church of Jesus Christ. It makes us sick. Uh, so these sound words that Paul mentions in verse 13, literally they mean healthy words, life-giving, helpful words. But where was Timothy to find this pattern of sound words? Paul said they were the words which, I, which you have heard from me. So Paul, under divine inspiration, passed on uh, 
these truths to Timothy through personal instruction, through uh, preaching, and most importantly, through the divinely inspired letters that we have recorded in Scripture. And where did Paul get these truths? Well, in Galatians 1, verse 12, he wrote, For I received, uh, neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul was divinely inspired, and so the form of sound words were given to him by God, and we are therefore now blessed, as Timothy was, to, to have them preserved in writing for us in the Bible. So the Bible alone is the final authority for all faith and practice. That's where we uh, get our doctrine. It's the Reformation principle of sola scriptura, or scripture alone. And so our larger catechism, Westminster Larger Catechism, states the following. It says, the holy scriptures of the Old and New Testament are the word of God, the only rule of faith and obedience, the only pattern of sound words, if you will. And as, as the word of God, scriptures, of course, alone are infallible, alone are divinely authoritative. Um, uh, it's the, the Bible is the supreme judge of all controversies, all conflicts, all matters of faith and practice, <clears throat> all doctrine. But, you know, it's... Dr. Johannes Voss, he wrote a commentary on the larger catechism. He says this principle of sola scriptura, of course, does not rule out <clears throat> such subordinate standards as the larger catechism itself, which present merely a systematic summary of what scripture teaches. So here's the thing. We have the Bible. We know it's infallible. We know it's authoritative. But let's take a sermon, for example. If this sermon today is faithful to the scriptures, uh, if it is accurately expounding what God teaches, then you're bound to, to hold to it. Uh, it. It is the word of God uh, coming uh, to you, yes, through a, uh, through a fallible human being. And sometimes you may have to say, I don't know about that. I need to think about that, or I need to ask Mark about that. Uh, I need to get that clarified. Uh, preachers are not infallible. Only the Word is. Uh, creeds, catechisms are not infallible. Only the Word is. But if they are faithful to Scripture, then they have something to offer us. They are helpful tools. And uh, but uh, you know, though the Bible is not written in, a, in the format of a systematic theology, Romans might be an exception. It's the closest thing we have to a, to a, a systematic treatment of doctrine, but by and large, the Bible's written in stories, it's written as historical narrative, uh, there is teaching, there is doctrine, of course, but it's, it's not really written as a systematic, a book of systematic theology would be written. However, there is within the Bible a systematic form of doctrine. Uh, it's there. And, and I believe God wants us, particularly those who are ordained, those who are in the ministry, but all Christians are to draw out uh, and gain and establish truths in an organized way for us to to learn. From the earliest days, the Christian church has formulated these summaries of doctrine in creeds and confessions. Uh, we use the Apostles' Creed here from time to time. We recite it. It shows our connection with the church. 
in the past, and there are basic truths that we confess. Uh, there are other creeds, the Nicene Creed, which followed uh, after the Apostles' Creed, the Westminster Confession of Faith many years later, which we hold to is a statement of sound doctrine that our own denomination has adopted. In fact, I want you to turn, if you, if you want, or you can just listen, page 848 in the back of your hymnal. We have the Confession of Faith printed in that, um, in, in the back of our hymnal. On page 848, Roman numeral 6, and, and the first chapter is titled, On the Holy Scriptures. What, what do we believe about the Holy Scriptures? Well, in section 6, Roman numeral 6, down at the bottom of page 848, it begins. It says, The whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in Scripture or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from Scripture, unto which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. So what it's saying is, is that everything that we need, of course, for in order to glorify God, to live our lives in a way that pleases Him, is set down in the Bible. It's either expressly stated or we deduce it. And what is deduction? It's the process of logic or inference where we uh, draw conclusions from Scripture uh, and from His Word. For example, you know, in the Shorter Catechism, there's a question is, who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And the Redeemer of God's elect, it says, is the Lord Jesus Christ, who being the eternal Son of God became man and so was and continues to be God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. Now, that statement is true because it's deduced from many, many places in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, but it's a condensed form of simply what the Scriptures teach. So uh, this source of sound doctrine is the Scriptures. And, and, and also what we deduce from the Scriptures, rightly deduce, we can, again, we can be wrong. We have to be very careful. We have to be very particular about these things. But, but this is the pattern of sound words that Paul commanded Timothy to hold fast to and by implication calls us to hold fast to. At the end of verse, 10, verse 13, Paul adds that Timothy was to do so in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And that leads to the final point this morning. It is how are we to guard uh, sound doctrine? How was Timothy uh, to hold fast to it? Um, well, he was to do so in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. In other words, first of all, we receive uh, the, the sound words of Scripture by faith and we take them into these truths into our hearts and love. We love them. We love the truth. We believe the truth and we love it. And the Shorter Catechism asks another question. How are we to read and hear the Word of God? The answer is we're to give attention to the Word with diligence, preparation, and prayer. Receive it with, you guessed it, faith and love. Lay it up in our hearts and practice it in our lives. So those who hear the Word are to take it 
with faith and love. If you hear the word without faith and or, or love for that word, guess what's going to happen? You're going to easily part with the truth. If you don't believe it and you don't love it, you're not going to hold it at all. But those who earnestly believe it and deeply love it will guard it with their very lives. Paul told Timothy in verse 14, guard the good deposit, that good thing, and trust it to you. Now, I would say that ministers and elders especially must be committed to guarding the sound words of Scripture because God has appointed the elders of the church to be shepherds who watch out for the flock, who guard the flock. And if we do not guard the truth, we will not be able to guard the flock. So the Bible and the sound doctrine developed from it have been deposited with the church throughout uh, church history. Those who have gone before us, those faithful men who have gone before us, uh, God has used them, first of all, to to record, uh, to translate the Bible. God has preserved his word uh, written down for us in our own language and so forth. And then he's also uh, given those those men have developed doctrines, sound doctrines based on the word. And that deposit of truth uh, is given to us for us to guard. Now, we have the duty to guard it and to pass it on to the next generation. So if someone comes along who doesn't hold to sound doctrine, what, what do we do? Someone comes into the church and they start saying things that, we, we know uh, are, are wrong. And, and they strike at some, something that's critical, like the gospel. Uh, well, first of all, someone should, if, if one of the elders doesn't know uh, what's being said or what's being spread around, then they should be informed. And then the elder or the pastor should approach the person and uh, attempt to correct uh, to discuss the matter and correct them. Um, but if they do not submit to the correction, ultimately, of the elders, then uh, they must be uh, rejected and must be forbidden to spread those things. Titus 3.10 says, Reject a man who is a heretic after the first and second warning. And this is the idea of practicing church discipline. This is another thing that uh, the church that is in decline doctrinally is almost always a church that is not practicing church discipline. They have allowed heretics to continue on and to teach their errors uh, instead of rejecting them. And so it, we've got to practice church discipline, which at the lowest level involves gentle correction. Now, hopefully a person is teachable and is willing to be corrected. Uh, but at the highest level, it means to expel false teachers from the church. Second uh, John, in, in chapter well, in, in chapter one, verse ten, says, "If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of the gospel, uh, do not receive him into your house nor greet him." Uh, I would say we we would also add to that today: don't listen to them on TV. Don't read their messages on the Internet. Don't give them any attention. Don't delve into their teaching. Because if they don't bring you this doctrine, this sound doctrine of Scripture, uh, then uh, we need to 
completely uh, reject what they're saying. Now, one doctrine the church needs to guard in particular today, and this was brought up earlier today in our study on Galatians, is the doctrine of original sin. Uh, I actually uh, found the definition on Wikipedia to be fairly accurate when it defines original sin as the Christian doctrine that holds that humans, through the fact of birth, inherit a tainted nature in need of regeneration and a proclivity to sinful conduct. In other words, the Bible teaches we are born with corrupt and sinful hearts. We are conceived in sin. So even before we are born, this uh, this the sin nature uh, is imparted to us through um, through our parents. Well, Ligonier Ministry every few years does a survey called the State of Theology, and uh, it, it was done again recently. And I read this week that nearly two thirds of professing evangelicals. Sometimes they survey the whole population. But sometimes they limit, you know, the parts of the survey just to those who are evangelicals, which means someone who believes the Bible is the word of God and that Jesus is the way to God and so forth. So two thirds of professing evangelicals believe that people are born innocent. Do you believe that? I think that 100 percent of this congregation knows that (laughs) that children are not born innocent. Uh, They're born in sin, with a sin nature. How did two-thirds of evangelical Christians, if they are so, come to think that people are born innocent? Well, somehow, in their lives, in their churches, if they go to church, there's a lot of people who say, I'm an evangelical. Well, I don't go to church. I just do my own study and so forth. Well, you're not an evangelical in the true sense of that word if you're not in church. But uh, somehow the truth of the sinful nature of man from birth was not guarded. Now that's a serious, serious error. That's heresy. And it leads uh, to many other errors. Um, J.C. Rowell said if you don't get the doctrine of sin right, everything else is going to be wrong. But that's why we need to be precise in our statements of doctrine. Paul's going to tell Timothy later on in this book not to wrangle about words. And that's not what we're talking about. But to be precise in our language and commitment to the truth is not the same thing. So we need to be careful not to add or take away uh, from the sense of Scripture, from what it is teaching. And where Scripture has not spoken, we're not to speculate. Uh, Again, that's something that Paul emphasizes in the pastoral epistles. Uh, So... In all our beliefs, in all we say that we hold to, uh, we, it needs to be expressly stated in the Bible or logically deduced from it. And we need to guard especially not only the doctrine of original sin as a, as a truth, but especially uh, the doctrine doctrines of the person and work of Jesus Christ. Because Paul said to Timothy, Uh, Hold fast to sound words in faith and love, which are in Christ Jesus. That phrase, as we learned again in in our study of Galatians, is repeated by Paul. Uh, That phrase, in Christ, refers to our union with Christ. And it's repeated about 68 times in his writings. But uh, the doctrine of Jesus Christ uh, is the central doctrine to all doctrines. 
And, and so all of doctrine must connect in some way and focus on Jesus Christ. Uh, the Dutch theologian Herman Bavink made this point many years ago when he wrote that the doctrine of Christ is the central point of the whole system of dogmatics or of theology. The doctrine of Christ is the central point of the whole system. Uh, Calvin said the summary of doctrine consists in faith and love of which the knowledge of Christ is the source and the beginning. It's the foundation. So when our theology ceases to be Christ-centered, it's going to be imbalanced. Uh, it's going to degenerate into error. So keeping Christ uh, as the focus of our doctrine is to follow what Jesus himself taught. In in John 5.39, you search the scriptures, Jesus said, for in them you think you have eternal life. Now this is a danger uh, of making the Bible itself or making a a confession of faith an end in and of itself. No, the Bible, he says, you think you have eternal life just because you know the Bible. He says, but these are they which testify of me. They're pointing to me that you might have life in me. Luke 24, 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And so if we miss Jesus in reading the Bible, preaching the Bible, making doctrinal statements based on the Bible, if we miss Jesus, we've missed it all. So every doctrine we confess must be connected to him, cannot be understood apart from him. I concur with a man named Jeremy Jackson, and he writes this. He said, at the heart of all heresy and false doctrine is a distortion or denial of Christ. So our position on the the work, the person and work of Jesus Christ, our doctrine there, is a test of really of the soundness of our doctrine. One final way we guard the truth is by reliance, by dependence on the Holy Spirit. And and Paul mentions that, that he said to Timothy, keep uh, this deposit by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. And there, even in that statement, we have a statement of theology. we We learn that the Spirit of God indwells the Christian. But the Holy Spirit inspired the Scriptures. And he alone can give an understanding of them. So the Bible is the the sufficient, the all-sufficient rule of faith and practice. But we come to the Bible often with clouded thinking, uh, clouded by sin. And so we need to depend not on our own wisdom or intellect, but on the Holy Spirit as we study the Bible. We come humble and teachable and and we pray, Lord, help us by the Spirit of God uh, to understand your word and accurately explain it. That's why the confession of faith goes on in that section six that we read from earlier. It says we acknowledge the inward illumination of the spirit of God to be necessary for the saving understanding of such things that are revealed in the word. So without the spirit of God, we're, we're, we're always going to be off base. No need for any new revelation from the Spirit. The Bible is completed. It's final. We have all that we need. But we do have an ongoing need for illumination uh, by the indwelling Spirit of God. So uh, by Him, by His help, we are to guard the deposit of truth given to us. That means we approach the study of the Bible and the study of doctrine with much prayer.
someone has said, only divine assistance through the personal indwelling and empowering of the Spirit can give endurance and success in the daunting task of guarding the everlasting gospel. So thank God for the indwelling Spirit. But I'm also thankful for how God, through His indwelling Spirit, has used men, godly men, through the centuries who were led by the Spirit to, to teach and preach the Word and to develop and formulate doctrinal statements that help the church. I'm thankful for the elders and for the members of this congregation and for your commitment to sound theology and truth. I know that you want that, and if you don't get that, uh, I hope you will complain. I hope you will say something. Um, I did have to leave a church one time, and I, I was sad to have to, to tell the pastor that I, I, that I was leaving because I did not think that I was being fed the word. Uh, and so we've got to be fed with the truth of Scripture, sound words. And so the study of God, of, of sound doctrine, what does that do for us? That enables us to stand firm, I believe, in, in the secular age that we are living in. And I want to end with this statement, uh, and it's just my own, but I believe that a return to the study of theology, to the study of God, is the antidote we need to the godlessness of our times. Let's pray. Lord, you are the living, the eternal God. Uh, to you, Lord, we look. Uh, to your Holy Spirit, we look. To Jesus Christ, we look. Lord, we are finite, sinful human beings, but we've been created in your image. You have redeemed us. Those who believe in Jesus have been redeemed that we might know you. So, Lord, I pray for a greater understanding and knowledge, not, Lord, that we might be puffed up, but that we might increase in grace and in love for you and for each other, and also a desire to disseminate the truth, uh, not just to hold it for ourselves, but to get the gospel out, the good news of the gospel, uh, to those who need to hear it. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.